the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you have tuned in, and I'm grateful to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. Anything that's going through your heart or mind, we'll do the best that we can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You also can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature on your car phone or your cell phone uh, and um, use the free KSLR mobile app. There'll be a banner at the top of the screen that says call now. You can hit that. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Well, I don't have a bunch of stuff to talk about today, so let's get right to some questions. We've had some good ones that have been sent in. Uh, Let me see. Our first one here is uh, from our email inbox from Nacho. Uh, Pastor on is the mighty angel in Revelation 10, Jesus. Also in Revelation 11, 13, it says, And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. That comes in contrast to other passages that say that everyone uh, was praying to die, uh, for rocks to fall on them, or that they continue to worship other gods. Could that be because the event in eleven thirteen happened specifically in Jerusalem, and it may be Jews cluing in. Uh, interesting, the second part. I'll get to that in just a moment, Nacho. Uh, the angel in Revelation chapter 10 is not Jesus. Now, this is important um, because this angel's physical description resembles the description of Jesus in chapter 1. There's a lot of people who identify this angel with Jesus. I don't see that that is even a possibility. Um, The strongest piece of evidence for me is the cloud that you see uh, in this in this uh, passage, Nacho. Um, If this is a normal cloud, uh, it can't be Jesus. Now, it's the Greek word for cloud is the regular cloud, just like any other cloud that we'd see in the sky. Now, if this was Jesus, that word for cloud would be the word for for his glory or Shekinah the glory of God, then it would be Jesus. But it's not that that word for Shekinah at all. Um, uh, Let me just offer you an opinion. I'll do it with both ends of your question here. Um, My 
own opinion on this, and there's no way to know for sure. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to find out. But I think this is probably the mightiest of all of angels, uh, Michael, who is Israel's prince. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, it says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. I think this is where Michael is arising. Um, there's no way to be sure. Uh, but but this isn't Jesus. Of that, I'm convinced. I can't be certain, however, that this is not, uh, or that this is Michael. I just believe that it is. Now, relative to your second question in Revelation chapter eleven thirteen, I'm not sure a couple of things. One, we're dealing with a different time. As the 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 judgments are unfolded, as the seals uh, and the other judgments, the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments come. Um, um, the, the time is progressing throughout the seven years. The people that were uh, shaking their fist at God, you know, they knew it was the wrath of the Lamb, uh, and 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 yet they still would not honor the Lord. Uh, I think those are people that have taken the mark of the beast, and they have sort of figuratively dug their heels in, and they're not going to serve the Lord. Um, let me tell you what I think is going on here. Um, let me read the whole verse. It says, At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Very specific, isn't it? And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Um, maybe. And again, this is all opinion. My opinion is no better than anybody else's opinion. But I have looked at these passages so many times over the years, and I think that possibly this is sort of the way the 144,000 begin their ministry. That would require that it goes back a little bit chronologically in time, but that's not a problem in the book of Revelation. Uh, it, it may be this earthquake and the, and the, the, the mass numbers who were killed uh, that makes him recognize that Moses and Elijah's message, they are the two witnesses about Jesus was true. And it may be the tool of conversion that God used to care or will use in the future to kick off the greatest team of evangelists in the history of the world. And of course, that is the 144,000. Again, there's no way to, to, to uh, validate that. Um, certainly no one can be dogmatic about it. But uh, I think you're question about might be the Jews cluing in, uh, I think that's probably the case. Good questions. I appreciate that very, very much. 340-9585. Let's go to another question. Uh, this is from John from our mobile app. John wants to know, what is your opinion or thoughts about Kanye West, his new album, and the reaction to his services across America? I'm giggling, John, because I wouldn't know Kanye West had a new album. So I have no thoughts about his album at all. I'm not a music guy in the first place, but certainly uh, I don't think Kanye West would be on my very, very limited menu of, of, of artists to listen to. So I know nothing about that. Uh, I do know, uh, simply reading headlines, that his album uh, is, is about Jesus being true. It's about his conversion. And um, um, I haven't examined it at all, nor will I, for um, um, doctrinally correct uh, lyrics. However, here's my thoughts about Kanye West. I pray to God that his conversion experience is real. I pray to God that his conversion experience is real. I also pray that there are, are a bunch of Christians out there who won't rush to try to jump on his bandwagon. You know, so often, especially when a celebrity gives his or her life to Jesus, um, people in the church kind of grab onto them. And in the process, they, they, uh, they, they put somebody in a position uh, publicly that they're not ready for. So um, I, I just hope they'll leave him alone, let him fall in love with Jesus and grow. But I do pray, um, most of all, that his conversion is genuine. And I must say that as a new believer, it seems as though it is. Now, uh, Kanye West is a man of enormous means. 
And what he is doing is he's traveling around the country uh, on social media. He's letting people know the, the place that he's going to be. And he's, he's conducting church services um, um, in, in the different cities. And, and people, thousands of them literally, are coming to meet him. And they're hearing the word about Jesus. Remember the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, look, I, I don't care what their motives are, but, but as long as the gospel is being declared, he says that he can rejoice. And and uh, I, I, I would tend to give the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this is a guy who's risking a lot. I mean, social media has been destroying him because of his claims to faith. Uh, this is a man who's ultimately going to have to take a stand against the things that this world says are okay. The Isaiah chapter 5, uh, we live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good. He's going to have to decide whose side he's on. Um, so he's doing, I think, what a man of his enormous means can do. And uh, I see this as an evangelistic outreach, and I think it's great. I absolutely think it's great. So uh, I pray for him. I, I hope you will as well, John. Uh, but this is a guy who um, whose conversion, at least on the surface, appears to be real. Let me Let me add just two other quick things. Um, when he is doing these services, he's traveling with his pastor or having his pastor his pastor travel with him. His pastor's the one that's doing the message. He's not claiming to be a pastor. He's not saying he's called to be anybody special. He's just a guy that seems to be excited about Jesus, and I love that. Now, the reason I said this is the last thing I'll comment on here. The reason I said... Uh, that I hope that, that Christians don't grab hold of him. You know, Christians like people, and he's got millions and millions of social media followers. Um, you know, they, they want to be connected with that kind of fame. Uh, a very, very casual friend of mine, somebody I've known, um, again, casually, but, but for a long time. If, if he were here, he would know me, and, and we would talk about things. Um, uh, his name is Daryl Strawberry. He was a baseball player for the Mets and for the Dodgers. And uh, late in his career, after all kinds of drug problems and alcohol problems, um, he, he, he got saved. He genuinely got saved. And as soon as he did, you know, he was on TBN and, and, and everybody wanted to grab onto him. And it almost destroyed his walk. He wasn't ready for that kind of limelight. Before God can use people, he was, even the Apostle Paul had to wait three years being taught directly by the Lord himself. And uh, uh, I watched the, the pain that Daryl Strawberry was in. Uh, I was able to, um, um, and, and again, remember back then, I wasn't saved at, at the beginning. Um, but, but when I was a fairly new Christian and he was a new Christian, um, I, I just saw people trying to market him Instead of just letting the Lord take his time with him and raise him up. And, and, and um, um, here's a good report. Uh, Daryl is now doing very effective ministry. He's very mature in his faith. Um, I, I don't know doctrinally how sound he is. I assume his doctrine is okay. It certainly believes in all of the essential doctrines of our historic Christian faith. Uh, but uh, God's had him in his hand the whole time, and now Daryl is doing effective ministry. I hope the same thing is true with Kanye West. Thanks for the question, John. I appreciate it. Here is a question from Michael. He says, My wife struggles with the issue of head coverings, and should she wear them? She wants to know why they aren't worn in church now, as commanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Michael, the answer to that is, is, is pretty straightforward. Um, um, the 1 Corinthians 11, um, Paul is dealing with a local issue. A local issue. Now remember, we have to always keep the context of 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church was a mess when Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he wrote, uh, it sounds like he was just scolding him. They were out of control. They were, they were misrepresenting the Lord. They, they were carnal and fleshy. And Paul is trying to straighten them out. And he's very, very stern with them. 
Now, when you get to 1 Corinthians 11 and he talks about women wearing head covers, the reason is because they were defying their husbands. Now, this was an Oriental culture church, and in that culture, the men would sit in the front and the women would be in the back, or the men would be on one side and the women on the other side in these gatherings together. And the meetings were getting out of control. And Paul's telling them to be quiet. To be quiet. Respect your husbands. And the reason he talks about the head covers deals with the local circumstance in Corinth. There was a temple to Artemis or Diana, and and it was a place where there would be um, um, the the worship service, I say that with tongue-in-cheek, would involve sexual immorality, a gross, gross sexual immorality. And there was always a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female, on hand. Now, the women who were the temple prostitutes who were available for their so-called worship, um, they shaved their heads. Their heads were shaved. It was an advertisement saying, I'm available, I'm available, hire me. And, and Paul is basically saying for a woman to be out from under the authority of her husband is to put her in the same position as those temple prostitutes. So they should cover their heads so they know they're in, the, the people would know they're in submission to their husbands and certainly in submission to Christ. So that was a local situation only, unlike Michael, unlike 1 Timothy chapter 2, which we know because Paul goes back to, to, to Genesis to establish the foundation for his, his command, I do not permit a woman to teach her authority over men. Uh, that's a once and for all. That, the context there is order in the church. And, and, and Paul is saying this is a once and forever procedural command. But not so in Corinth. So tell your wife she needs not struggle any longer with the issue of head covering. She doesn't have to wear one. She's certainly welcome to if she wants to. But that would be only a matter of choice, certainly not an obligation uh, in terms of being obedient. Good question, Michael. Let's go to the phones. We've got uh, Reuben calling from Seguin. Reuben, good to hear from you. How are you doing? I am blessed. How are you doing, sir? Good. Doing well. Thank you. Um, I have a couple of questions, and I hope it's not too much, and then I'm going I'm to get off the line because I finally figured out how to download the app to, to listen to you. <laughs> Good <laughs> for I'm you. Not, I'm not savvy when it comes to computers and all of that. So I well, that only, took you, that only took you three years, Ruben. Exactly. It took me three years <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> Let's see what the next three years has for me. <laughs> Okay, um, as you know, I've been I've been um, trying to read the Bible and trying to understand, you know, what's going on in customs and whatnot. Um, first question is just a simple yes or no question. Am I correct in saying that the Bible tells me that every one of us are sinners, and every day we are going to sin one way or another? And one and every day, we are going to have to ask God to forgive us for one thing or another. And we are never, ever going to be perfect, and we're always going to sin until the day we get to heaven. That's the number one question. The okay. second question is, why did God allow Samson to marry a prostitute? I didn't know, as I was reading the book of, uh, oh God, what was it, Judges? Judges, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I got to the story of Samson. I didn't know that Delilah was a prostitute, so why did God allow Samson to marry a prostitute? And why did Samson allow Delilah to ask him all those questions? No, he must have known what she was doing when he was asking her him for, what is the secret of your power? Okay, mm-hmm. now the third third question uh, and the final question is it's in the book of judges uh there was i can't remember the name of the man but his concubine was killed by the benjamites and um they came out uh he rested at some man's house and the men of the village came to that man's house and they wanted to to rape or have sex with the man but the owner of the house said no here's my virgin and here's concubine you take them so they raped the concubine the concubine died uh 
that man took the concubine, put him on his donkey, and he went back to his hometown, and he cut her up into, I believe, six pieces, and he mm -hmm. sent them each to each clan. Okay, why did he do that if they, if, if he was an Israelite? And, um... Yeah, why did he do that if he was an Israelite? I thought that that was like a pagan kind of ritual. Uh, those are the three questions I have, and I'll hang up, and I'll listen to you on the app. Thank you, Ruben. God bless you. You, you actually made me feel a little bit like a techie with, with your struggles with getting through um, our app. Um, the, the answer to the first question is yes. Um, sadly, I, I report that we are all sinners. We're all going to struggle with flesh. Uh, we are going to sin. Uh, you asked if we're going to sin every single day. Um, I don't know that we're going to sin every single day, but the truth of the matter is we're going to be tempted to sin. We're going to give in to sin. John, the apostle in First John says, if anyone says he's without sin, he is a liar and the truth isn't in him. So the idea is that we struggle continually. We all, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, fall short of the glory of God continually and continually sin. That's just the nature of the struggle that we have. Now, we hope, Reuben, that our sins change and that we get uh, better and better and, and uh, our sins from a worldly perspective would be considered smaller. Uh, when I first got saved, my sins were big worldly sins. Uh, but as you walk with Jesus, you have the opportunity to grow uh, in your relationship with him, to become more like him by spending time with him in the word, by spending time with him in prayer. The more time you spend with him, the more like him you're going to be. But here's the dynamic that's hard to, to, to explain. Um, you know, like most people, I think, when I was a fairly new Christian, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get over these struggles and pretty soon I won't be sinning anymore. Uh, I didn't find that to be true at all. Here's what I found. The closer I got to Jesus, the more little sins became, or I became aware of them. And a friend who once said, you know, the closer you get Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, the blacker the gray areas of life become. And so what I find is that uh, after 28 plus years walking with Jesus, um, I'm aware of the gap between us as being far greater than I ever believed it was as a brand new Christian. Again, I'm not doing the same sins. I'm not doing horrible things, but I'm aware of little tiny things. I'm aware of, of uh, ugly thoughts. I'm aware of, of uh, the temptation to use bad language. I'm aware of taking advantage or manipulating or just, just whatever little things, little white lies, those kinds of things. And the closer you get to Jesus... Um, the more aware of those things you are. But we will continue to sin continually. Um, the second question about Samson is a great question. Uh, now that you've got the app, you can go to uh, the studies that I have posted there. Uh, I did a bunch of studies on Samson, and this was one of them that was really, really good. Now, here's what the Bible says about Samson. It says he was strong. It doesn't say he was smart. He said, surely he knew what she was trying to do. He didn't really know. Now, I say all the time that sin is insane. This was a man who was controlled by his lust. You ask, why did God allow him to marry a prostitute? The answer to that question is the same reason God would allow you to sin without striking you down, or the same reason God would allow me to sin without striking me down. Samson had a free will. Yes, he was called by God from birth. Yes, he was given a position of responsibility, but, but like many of us, Reuben, we find ourselves being disobedient and we find ways to rationalize it. Samson just didn't want to control his lust. And he was love-struck. Um, his flesh needed to be satisfied. And as he saw something that he wanted, he wanted to take it. He didn't care what anybody, including and especially God, thought. At, at one point, even his parents said to him, isn't there a nice Jewish girl that you can you can come up with? And, and his answer was, no, I don't want a nice Jewish girl. I want this one. And, uh, and Delilah, empowered, no doubt, by the devil, um, uh, 
uh, Delilah was able to really control Samson uh, because he couldn't control his lust. So God didn't allow or, 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 or let him do it, um, but God knew he would. Samson made his own choice. The third question, the end of Judges, um, it, it's uh, actually chapter 19. When you get to the last chapters of Judges, Reuben, they're no longer chronological. They sort of go back into the history and explain some of the things and some of the problems that happen uh, when we are doing what seems right to us instead of doing what seems right to God. Uh, in these chapters, uh, the, the, the concubine was killed. Um, she was raped and abused to the point that she died. And finally, when the man came and saw uh, just how horrible it was and that nobody was doing anything about it, he cut up her body and he mailed a piece. We'd say mail. He, he, he sent by messenger uh, a piece of that body to the other tribes. Basically, what he's saying is, wake up. We've fallen so far away from God. We let, the, we let these things happen. So this was a wake-up call to them, Reuben. Again, go to uh, My Studies and Judges, and you get a lot of those things. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 before i take a phone call from matthew um let me ask uh, for for prayers today uh, is the two-year anniversary of the tragedy in Sutherland Springs when um, many of our brothers and sisters were taken from us. Uh, this will be a day that will be real tender to, to, to many people uh, who suffered such great loss. Uh, keep uh, Pastor Frank Pomeroy in your prayers. Uh, by the way, he is um, embarking on a political career um, in addition to, uh, to pastoring. So keep them in your prayers, but keep uh, the people who whose wounds um, are still wide open and fresh, um, keep them in your prayers. Two years uh, since that terrible tragedy. Let's go to San Antonio now and talk with Matthew on line one. Matthew, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, how you doing, Pastor Ron? Um, I'm doing well, I'm thank you. on the road right Yes, sir. Uh, I'm on the road right now, so I'll just go ahead and I wanted to... Say a thing or two, and then ask you a question, and then I can go ahead and let you go, and I'll hang up and listen. But uh, so the short version, Pastor Ron, I'm pretty much growing up in church. Um, started going to church when I was 12, and uh, you know we could say a lot of things, but I feel like I know my mission in life is to try to spread the word of Jesus Christ. I want people to know that you know He's their Savior and everything. But I've always just kind of felt that that doesn't apply to me. As weird as that might sound, I've always struggled with depression and suicide, and I feel like. God came to save other people, and I feel like he laid down his life, and I'm sure the stories that we all know, but I don't feel like that applies to me. I feel like I'm supposed to tell them that, but it doesn't really apply to me specifically. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Oh, I can do that, Matthew. Thank you very, very much. Drive safely while I'm answering this question. Um. Matthew, a couple of things. One, one uh, thank you for accepting the mission, even though you're 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 not always um, enjoying the fruit of it. I mean, it, it's our job, all of us, to to declare the word of God, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells uh, Philemon that he uh, he prays that he be active in sharing his faith, so that he'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. It is our job. It's not something that we have an option. And yet, most Christians feel like sharing this gospel is is um, um, something we can do if we want to, or if we feel like it, instead of doing it because we know this is what the Lord has said. So we need to be men and women who are active in sharing. Now, in your situation, Matthew, not knowing, and I, I always tread lightly when I'm dealing with uh, depression and suicidal thoughts, 
Um, um, the most important thing you can learn from your relationship with Jesus Christ is that he delights in you every day, that he thinks about you all day, how precious are your thoughts toward me, how vast the sum of them, the psalmist writes. He's thinking about you all day, every day, and his heart is grieved over the reasons that you're suffering from depression and suicidal thoughts. Now, there's an enemy who wants to destroy you. Matthew, you're, you're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an enemy who wants to destroy you. And he's going to bring all of these thoughts back to you. So you've got to learn to fight. You've got to be tough. You've got to learn to fight and just understand that as long as the devil is able to plague you with these kinds of thoughts, he's not going to give up. He is relentless. He is without mercy. He's not going to give you a break. That's why for someone like you, Matthew, it's more important in a practical sense to spend your time with Jesus than for the rest of us. Now, it's important for all of us to do that. And I talk about that all the time in this program. But for you, it's an absolute essential to be able to stand against the lies of the enemy. So recognize, first of all, that those are lies, that Jesus died just for you. You know, Matthew, uh, the parable of the pearl of great price, Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, is for you. It's for you. It says, and when he found one of great value, not when he found millions or billions, when he found one of great value, that's an intentional choice of words because he wants you to know he wants you to really believe by faith but but also believe because the word declares it that if you were the only one on earth who would have said yes to his invitation to have your sins forgiven he still would have died for the joy set before him he endured the agony of the cross Matthew you were that joy he looked at you and he said Matthew is worth it way 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 worth it and he loves you and now the question for you is are you going to believe it do you have the faith to believe it regardless of how you feel I mean if Jesus already proved he loved you by climbing on that cross for you when he could have come down, but he stayed on that cross until he could say it is finished. By that he's saying Matthew's debt has been paid and that's when he could give up his spirit. And you've got to believe, you've got to be tough enough to believe regardless of how you feel that he did that just for you and his love for you has already been declared. How much more can he love you than giving his life for you? Now, you know those things because you're sharing it with other people. But now the question is applying it. Let me suggest something else. I want you, when you get off work or when you get home, Matthew, to to spend some time in your Bible. Open up the, the, the poetic book, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs uh, in, in most translations. And you'll see in that book, there's going to be subtitles, uh, head, head, headings. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to read all of the parts where the heading is lover, because that's Jesus speaking to you. And you're a man, I'm a man, sometimes we men don't like all this lover romantic stuff. But this is so essential because this is Jesus talking just to you. Now, yes, it was Solomon. It was a real story. He was an historical figure. But because it's a poem, it's also an allegory with tremendous application for us. And what I want you to do is read all of the parts that say lover and personalize them. Read them slowly. Chew on them. Now, the, the whole book, there's eight chapters. Um, if you read just the parts that are headed lover at normal reading speed, Matthew, it'll take about eight minutes. I say that because I want you to read it three, four, five, six times. And I want you to let the Spirit of God and ask Him, Spirit of God, pour out your love into my heart. Romans 5.5 says He's already done that. 
but read it and say, Jesus, I need to know how much you love me. I need to know the height and width and breadth and depth of your love. And then as God pours out his spirit over you, Matthew, I think by being baptized in the spirit, I think you will have an experience. In fact, I'm predicting it now. You're going to have an experience with the love of God, perhaps for the very first time in your walk with Jesus. You're saved. You belong to him. He loves you. But I don't think you've let yourself experience that tidal wave of love come rushing over you. So read the Song of Songs, just the parts, headed lover. Read it again, four, five, six, seven times. And expect that during that time, the Lord is going to meet you with this tidal wave of love that will change your life. Please, Matthew, I'll be praying for you. Keep me posted. And I'd appreciate a call back after you've done this, and we'll see what the Lord does. Thanks very much. Let's go back to San Antonio now and talk with Leslie on line one. Leslie, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Yes, Pastor Ron, I wanted to respond to Matthew also, because I used to have depression, and I would uh, consider suicide and this and that. Now, I didn't know at the time, but I was on... um, um, artificial sweeteners, and but some people are so sensitive to those, they get depressed. And I had no idea. I thought, oh, I'm being slender, you know. But anyway, that's one thing. And then there's a lot of medications now have warnings of suicidal ideation, particularly antidepressants, which is weird. But then the other thing is, you uh, you told him basically to God will give him some sort of. I don't know if you didn't call it a sign, but it was. It's basically that I've asked for a sign from God that He loved me, that, you know, what to do and this and that, and He did it. So I totally understand God will personally say, Matthew, here, here's my love for you. And then finally, Genesis 1 really helps people who are very confused because it's so full of love from God. It's, um, you're made in my image and likeness, and everything I saw was very good, and, uh, behold it and blah 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 but anyway that was it pastor i i pray for matthew that he will feel really good soon and know how much god loves him (laughs) thank you leslie leslie has called to encourage uh, in response to callers in the past it's a gift that obviously the lord has given her but matthew one of the proofs that he loves you is that um, now you're going to have people like Leslie praying for you, uh, people like me praying for you, and um, and I want you to have this experience. Uh, I didn't I didn't characterize it as a sign, but this is an experience that God wants everybody to have. Just this tidal wave of love. I've had two experiences that were overwhelmingly emotional in my life. The first was understanding that God loved me. I couldn't, I was so unlovable, I couldn't imagine that God could love me. And yet he poured out his spirit over me one day and reduced me to mush um, because he wanted me to know and remember always not relying, not relying on the experience, but he wanted me to remember that experience always as a settled issue. God loves Ron. And uh, I've never doubted it from that moment. The other experience that I had, I uh, one time was sitting in my office at home, um, and there's a, a big picture window in the office, and I was just sort of... Um, done with the work, and I just sort of wheeled my chair over by the window, and I wanted to spend a few minutes in prayer. And I was praying for our city, and um, the Lord ripped my heart out of my chest. I cried from a depth that I didn't know existed. My heart was so broken, and all I could see was just my street, but it was like it represented the the entirety of San Antonio and, and even more Texas. And it was God sharing with me his broken heart for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. And he wanted me to share that heart. One, I needed to know how much he loved me, but I needed to know how much he loved the people. And when you have those kinds of emotional experiences at that kind of a depth, Matthew, it changes you forever. 
And I will never, ever be able to forget how much God loves people because he broke my heart along with his. So now, Matthew, you know we've got thousands upon thousands of people listening to this program. And you know a lot of those people now are going to be praying for you. Please, as I asked before, keep uh, in touch. Let me know um, after you read the Song of Songs. Here is a question from Daniel. Leslie, God bless you. Thank you so much. Daniel says, how do I know what God wants me to do now and in the future? Um, Daniel, you know, there's the will of God. I think we we over-spiritualize it and we make it much more difficult than it needs to be. Usually when we're talking about what's God's will for my life, we want to know what it is in 10 years. Uh, God's will for your life is to be with Him today. God's will for your life is is revealed to you in the Word. Uh, flee from sexual immorality. We know that's God's will. We know it's God's will that we we, we, we study to show ourselves approved, work men and women, rightly dividing the Word of God. We know it's God's will that we live our lives demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the things that God wants us to do. We know God wants us to walk with Him and spend some time with Him. And here's the key. If you do that today, then you're able to say, I am in the perfect, pleasing, acceptable will of God. So that's how you know, because the Word tells us. Now here's, I think, the really practically important result. If you walk with Jesus today, Daniel, you know, you don't do the things that you know you're not supposed to do. If you do the things you know you're supposed to do, if you're in the Word, if you're a man of prayer, um, if you do it today, you do it tomorrow, and you do it the next day, you're going to wake up in five years and you're going to be right in the middle of God's will. Too often when this question is asked, it's, um, uh, how do I know what the future holds? Um, And the way to know what the future holds is to get to the future. You know, Paul and I were talking about this uh, last week. Um, um, You know, we came here more than 24 years ago. Um, the general direction we had is we believe that God was sending us here to plant a church. Uh, so that's what we did. I knew my, my gift was to teach the Bible. That's what I did. And one day at a time, I did it. I was to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. One day at a time, I did it. I was to go out and spend some time with the Lord. One day at a time, I did it. And we went through a lot of really, really difficult times, times when we were crying out, God, why are things like they are? And why is it so hard? And are we doing the wrong thing? And, and just, just asking questions that, that people ask the Lord. But we continued walking with Him. We continued doing those things. And now here we are, 24 and a half years later, And I can look back, even on the really, really difficult times of struggle. I mean, times when we had no food to eat. Times when when I thought the church was never going to grow, it was never going to be fruitful. And now we look back on those 24 and a half years. And I know that when I get up tomorrow, as I knew when I got up today, I know that I'm right in the middle of His perfect will. The problem is most of us want to know it in advance. Jesus just wants us to trust Him with the future. I know we humans, we like plans. But if we're honest, Daniel, if we are honest, we'll admit to God that the reason we want to know what's in the future is because we reserve the right to say, no, I don't want to do that, or no, that's too hard. I remember when I told Paula that I was going to be a pastor. She already knew it, but you know what? It never dawned on her that that would make her a pastor's wife. And one day when it dawned on her that she was going to be a pastor's wife, she freaked out. I can't be a pastor's wife. I don't know anything about being a pastor's wife. 
I'm going to say something to somebody, they're going to kill themselves, and it's going to be my fault. All those things that the devil tries to destroy. But I can tell you this. I don't think there's a better pastor's wife in the world than Paula. She is a professional. I don't mean that in the in the money sense. I mean that in in the in the earnest sense. She has committed her life to being the best pastor's wife. And you know what? Since she's my wife, she couldn't avoid it. So instead of fighting it, she embraced it. She let Jesus walk with her and mature her. And we look back on our lives and we consider ourselves, not materially obviously, but we consider ourselves the richest people on the face of the earth. So Daniel, that's how you know what God wants you to do. Open your Bible tomorrow and do what it says. You want to do an interesting Bible study? Google, not Google, but but word search. Um, God's will. And follow those. If you've got a treasury of scripture knowledge or if you've got a Thompson Chain reference Bible, follow that trail through your New Testament. And you're going to find that God's will is so crystal clear that you can't miss it. Daniel, hope that helps. God bless you in your pursuit. Sarah asked the question, why don't churches help the people in their church with financial problems instead of spending money on salaries and buildings, etc.? Sarah, that is a really cynical question, um, and, and I'll answer it, but I really want you to check your heart. When, when people think these kinds of things, it, it demonstrates their heart's not in a healthy place spiritually. Now, first of all, you're judging churches. How do you know churches aren't helping the people in the church with financial problems? We have no money and we help people in our church with financial problems. So I, I think that's that's a, a false premise. Um, you know, we're, we're not a, a super mega church or anything. Uh, but there are many, many wealthy churches that help people in their congregations in ways that you'd never know. They wouldn't publicize. I remember when I first got saved, uh, I'd lost everything gambling. Uh, We were losing our house. Um, That was going to take a little bit of time. We we were going to have our utilities turned off. And I remember just one day mentioning it. Pastor asked me, pastor of the church that we were attending he asked me he said so is there anything I can pray for you for and I said you know what And right now our utilities are going to get turned off so please pray um, I came to church the following Sunday and he pulled me aside and said how much is your utility bill and I told him but the time church was over, I had the money in my hand. I made a check. I was so blown away, it never occurred to me to ask a church for help. And that impacted my life so powerfully. So, Sarah, it's just not true that churches don't help the people in their congregations. We do as we should. That's important. Now, regarding instead of spending money on salaries and buildings, I mean, where are the people going to go? I mean, how are we going to collect offerings if there's no place for people to go? Unfortunately, it costs money to have a building. It costs money to work for a church. I can't hire people. I've got 23 people, I think, on paid staff, teachers and staff members for church. They're entitled to make a living from their work. i got to pay them. And nobody's getting rich here, I can promise you that. But you see, that's part of the cost of doing business. And and when people are coming and they're contributing their, their, their offerings to the Lord, and they're doing so of their own free will, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's how important this is. Now, obviously, our church is a little different. We don't have a building we're renting. 
uh, a place in the Strip Center. We've been here for a long, long time. But, but you know, Sarah, when I'm getting ready to retire, whenever that is, or, or Jesus is ready for me to be done and take me home, um, I hope by that time that I'll be able to hand Pastor Ken the keys to, to a building that the Lord's built. You need buildings. We're wearing this place out. We've got so many people taking up every inch of space. Those are necessary things. Now, extravagance, uh, super high salaries, you're right. Shame on those pastors who take advantage of the people's money that's given. But you got to have those things. We do a lot with benevolence. Um, everything we do here is, maybe you know, Sarah, is free. So we're not in danger of taking advantage of anyone. Check your heart. I, I think that's a um, a very cynical question. And maybe you're been offended that somebody makes way too much money. And sadly, there are pastors that do that. But... Um, I think God's able to take care of them and he's able to take care of his people. So, Sarah, thank you for the question. Thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Thank you for the phone calls. Uh, Again, um, we're praying for you, Matthew. Stay in touch. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. Please tune in. We'll see you then. God bless you. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.